Uh, thank you. Good to see you guys on a Thursday. Uh, thanks for coming out. Uh, since we didn't have uh, the amazing worship team, uh, let me start with a word of prayer. Lord, our Father, we come to you this day. We know that you, Lord, are with us. We give you thanks for your glory shown in all that you have made. Give you thanks for the coming of fall and your faithfulness to us and to your creation. Pray for your spirit's blessing to be with us now as we, again, contemplate your word and your work um, and some of the work of uh, Dr. Schaefer. Pray for your face to shine upon us, for your blessing uh, towards us, Lord, this day. Amen. All right. Uh, so today uh, we're going to kind of focus a little more down onto uh, some of what Schaefer was doing in this book, True Spirituality, that we do for this conference. Um, so <clears throat> Schaefer's book, True Spirituality, is the fruit of what I talked about last time, which is the, his search for reality. Uh, and it's also the foundation of his work. It's also, I would say, the most relevant part of his work for us today. In True Spirituality, Schaefer's trying to give a biblical account of the dynamics of the Christian life, and he's also trying to give a shape of what the Christian life might look like and feel like in our internal experience and in the life of the church. We often hear today of uh, Christians deconstructing and leaving their faith. Many of us know folks personally who have gone through something like that. Many of us are sympathetic, actually, to the struggles uh, that this movement voices and represents. There are many component, components of deconstruction, a variety of reasons why it makes sense to, to, to so many people. But at the heart, at least of what I hear of it, it's really a protest of a lack of reality and honesty in the church. It often focuses on a church that defends theological orthodoxy but doesn't demonstrate real love towards neighbors or a love that crosses over theological, political, or racial lines. This is exactly why Schaefer left his own denomination and quit his job as a missionary. It doesn't mean that Schaefer was the first deconstructionist. I'm not going to tell you that. That's stupid. Why would somebody want to be that? I don't really know. Um, it doesn't mean the deconstruction movement is all healthy. Uh, I think some of the answers are kind of problematic. Uh, but it does mean that it points to a real problems and that Schaefer resonated with those problems and that uh, his work in true spirituality was actually his response to those problems. Schaefer's vision of the Christian life and true spirituality begins with a rejection of the moralistic external norms that Christianity is often reduced to. Following Jesus' model in the Sermon on the Mount, Schaefer focuses on the internal reality of the heart as the battleground of the Christian life and the locus of God's transforming work. He says, this is a very central concept if we're going to have any understanding or any real practice of the true Christian life or true spirituality. I can take lists that men make and I can seem to keep them, but to do that, my heart does not have to be 
bowed before God. That when I come to the inward aspect of the Ten Commandments, and when I come to the law of love, that I'm to love God and love neighbor, if I'm listening even in a poor fashion to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, I can no longer feel proud. I'm brought to my knees. Shaver's point is simply that uh, we want to live at the level of externals and make lists that, can keep, that we can keep and prove to everyone that we are good people. What the Bible confronts us with is something that dives deeper to our hearts and our failure to love God and our failure to love our neighbors. This is a deeper and more important question than conformity to a set of social rules. It's an important starting place for two reasons. First, it moves us from the rules to the heart and focuses on what we love and what we want. Second, in focusing on the heart, it returns, this is an important bit to get, it returns to those rules and moral norms just from a different angle. While it sees conformity to rules as a poor substitute for real spirituality, it also believes that spiritual formation includes a strong moral component and a strong moral demand. The measure of true spirituality is not simply something that I feel in my heart, but also demonstrated in the twin love of God and love of neighbor. It's a righteousness that comes from the heart, but only takes shape in practices of love. If any of that sounds familiar to you, it's because you've heard of Jesus, Paul, Augustine, and Calvin, to name a few. Again, Schaefer says, when we talk of the Christian life or true spirituality, we must be wrestling with the inward problems of not covening against God and men, loving God and men, not merely some set of externals. But the love of God and neighbor can easily turn into an abstraction <clears throat> that sounds nice and that everyone is for, but gives no real guidance for life. To make this real, not just an idea, Schaefer gives a really simple litmus test for the love of God and neighbor. He says this, first, I'm to love God enough to be contented. And second, I'm to love men enough not to envy. It's not enough to have positive feelings for God and neighbor. The real test of love is a trust in God's character as somebody who provides for me. <clears throat> this is why Schaefer ties love uh, of God to contentment. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Contentment is simply, it's not being, simply being happy all the time. <clears throat> it's not stoic detachment. It's an active trust in the presence of Christ as the one who loves me and takes care of me and my real needs. This is why Schaefer sees gratitude or thankfulness as a central Christian virtue. Contentment is a fruit of a discipline of gratitude. The second test he gives here is not to envy. Again, it's not simply having positive feelings for somebody. The real test comes when someone has some blessing in their life that I desire but don't have. Will I resent them or envy them? Can I actually be happy for them and with them? 
or do I fail to show up for them because I have, they have something that I want? These are the practical litmus tests of loving God and neighbor. These are the areas that we have to focus in on if we want real growth in the Christian life. Obviously, these are the measures uh, of our Christian spirituality, and then if they are, then we are driven to a place to recognize our shortcomings and failures. As Schaefer has said, we are driven to our knees, right? But that brings us to the next element of true spirituality, the movement of God's redeeming work to change us from the inside out. This is what Schaefer calls substantial healing through freedom in Christ. But freedom in Christ begins in a really unusual place, what he will call dying with Christ. The rhythm of true spirituality is dying and rising with Christ the connection to Jesus in his death and resurrection. His death and resurrection becomes the rhythm of the Christian life. It's a pattern for thinking about the work of God in our hearts and lives and also our active participation in that work. In the New Testament, the theme of dying and rising with Christ is always the primary mode of thinking about the Christian life. For the most part, it's the only way the New Testament talks about the Christian life. Uh, you see it in places like Pauline's language of being crucified with Christ. Uh, and in the Gospels, it fares the phrase that Jesus gives, pick up your cross and follow me. So, but what does dying with Christ really mean? Schaefer defines it as saying no to the dominance of things and self. It's a form of self-denial. He continues on. We are to be willing to say no to ourselves. We are to be willing to say no to things in order that the command to love God and men might have real meaning. Even the things that are lawful for me and good for me, I am not to seek my own, but I am to seek another man's good. There are a few key things to notice here in what Schaefer says. First, I think most of us wrongly equate self-denial with self-contempt. Saying no to self is not labeling ourselves as evil, corrupt, or wicked. It's simply reordering our priorities to create a place so that we can love God and love neighbor. It's denying one thing to gain a greater thing. Too often we hear calls to self-denial as a call to feel bad about myself. It's a psychological, this is, let me just say, psychological, psychologically self-destructive and fails to achieve the goal of self-denial, which is actually loving our neighbors. When we are busy eating our little shame sandwiches, we are actually just thinking about ourselves, right? It's not a form of self-denial, it's actually a form of selfishness and self-obsession. It has no movement towards the other in love. Schaefer's whole point is that self-denial is a form of dying with Christ and is that it has a goal for something greater, love of God and love of neighbor. Self-denial is a choice that frees us to love. It's actually a choice for me to embrace 
the freedom the gospel offers to actually do that. It's a choice to embrace my true self and deny my false self. When we turn self-denial into self-contempt, we're embracing a false self. It renders us incapable of love. I here, let me be honest. If you, if, for those of us who have been raised as Presbyterians, you've probably been trained to think that self-contempt is a virtue. The only thing I can say to that, this is an insidious idea that comes directly from the devil. When we look at our depravity and face our real ability for selfish hatred and wickedness, we are seeing something ugly. But we are never seeing our true selves in it. The more we identify ourselves with our depravity, the farther we are from the teachings of the Bible and the work of the Spirit in our lives. The choice of self-denial is not punishing myself, but a choice to deny my false self, to embrace my true self connected to Christ and remade by God. As Paul describes it in Ephesians 4, the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. But that's actually who we are. The next thing to notice about Schaefer's statement in the true, spiritu in true spirituality is that that spirituality is essentially moral. Not only moral, but focused on my moral self and moral actions. Love for God and neighbor are not primarily feelings. They include them, obviously. But primarily actions. How we run here, I think we run into an invisible roadblock. The modern world, and especially Kant, gave us patterns of thought that organize things into different baskets in our brains, right? Ethics and morality are in one basket, psychology and feelings are in another basket. When we talk about our spiritual lives, we tend to get into the emotional basket and understand spirituality as what I feel about God. In this sense, morality doesn't really fit. Dr. Kapik and I uh, both spend a good amount of time hanging out with people involved in what is generally referred to as the spiritual formation movement. And there's a ton of fruitful work that comes from this world, but in that world, moral formation and spiritual formation have no overlap whatsoever. And when I try to say that they have to be integrated together, most of these dear folks are going to look at me like I'm describing the color nine. <laughs> like it just makes no sense whatsoever. This is part of why we are going to hear self-denial in psychological terms as self-contempt and not as a moral demand. Schaefer is putting forward a biblically integrated model of spiritual formation in which love for God is both an emotional connection and a moral challenge. Something within us is always going to want to split those two into different baskets, right? The other side of dying with Christ is, of course, being raised with him, right? As Paul says in Romans 6, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism 
into death. In order that, here's the reason for it and purpose, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Dying and rising with Christ creates this rhythm of the Christian life. First, because it connects us to Jesus. He unites us to himself in his death and resurrection. As soon as we try to live the Christian life apart from our connection to Jesus or something we're doing to connect to Jesus, then we are headed towards legalism and moralism. Second, it gives the redemptive rhythm of dying with Christ. We say no to ourselves that we may be open to the Spirit's work to create loving hearts within us. It's our moral effort, but it is the Spirit's work. It's really impossible to say where those two separate or which, which part is which or when one stops and the other begins, right? Savior's language of being raised with Christ is what he calls becoming a glorified creature. We're the redeemed creatures created in God's image, but restored creatures, as we quoted from Paul above, created after the likeness of God uh, in true righteousness and holiness, right? As Schaefer says, I am a creature, it's true, but I have a calling to be the creature glorified. I must be the creature, but I don't have to be the creature like the clod in the field or the cabbage which rotting in the field as the slow melts. I am called to be a creature by choice on the basis of Christ's finished work. At the same time, Schaefer cautions the other side. However, as finite and marked by the fall, I can't do the Lord's work in the lost, abnormal, broken world, in my own energy, in my own cleverness, my own persistence, my own charisma, my own spiritual gifts, and so on. I am there, but I mustn't count on these things as the source of power. Consciously, the power must not be of myself. It's the power of the crucified, risen, glorified Christ through the agency of the Holy Spirit, appropriated by faith. Here, Schaefer emphasizes traditional Reformed distinction between us as God's creatures and God as the creator and the infinite metaphysical distance between those two. I find my true self when I embrace my creaturely finitude. Just read any book by Capic, uh, right there. Um, but he adds to that the idea of the redeemed creature Right? No longer defined by selfishness and rebellion, but choosing a creaturely dependence upon God and in his gracious provision. Essential to the idea of the glorified creature raised with Christ is a new moral existence and a new freedom to love God and neighbor. This is never a deposit of God that we own and demonstrate ourselves, but a definitive and continued work of God in us and in our hearts. Right? All of this leads to what Schaefer describes as substantial healing uh, in four areas. 
and he, he describes these as healing of psychological problems, healing of the whole person, healing of personal relationships, and healing in the church. Uh, as I mentioned yesterday, the phrase substantial healing reflects Schaefer's realism and fosters an expectation of something real, but not perfect. As he says, when we use the word substantial, we must recognize two things. The first here is that is the possibility of real substantial healing. But the second is the, that substantial doesn't mean perfect and never will. By psychological healing, Schaefer primarily means freedom from self-alienation or estrangement from ourselves. As creatures, we are given a psychological unity and integration point as redeemed creatures. Healing of the whole person is kind of furthering this idea where true spirituality is marked by an integrated self, heart, mind, body, and soul. Being integrated and unified and acting together. It's one of the things we see Paul talking about in Romans 7, just the self torn apart. Right. Healing of personal relationship is marked by genuine care, but also uh, real repentance and forgiveness in the repair of relational ruptures. Healing in the church means relational healing translated into institutional life that reflects the love and holiness of God, which is also characterized by repentance and forgiveness and leaders who adopt a disposition of service as the ones who repent first and not last. In all of these areas, Schaefer paints a picture of realistic redemption that has an expectation of real healing, but also a resistance to perfectionism and a fixed measure of what substantial healing is. Substantial healing for one person may not be the same thing for another. Right? It also paints a picture of the breadth of God's work and the depth, breadth, the depth of God's redemption. Salvation is not limited to getting souls to heaven or my personal experience of God. The scope is as wide as the whole creation and all human cultural endeavors and institutions. The redemption of God touches all these areas, and Christians are meant to endeavor to bring those redemptive movements into every area of life. Personal, psychological, institutional, environmental, political, intellectual, spiritual, etc. All are affected by the fall and human rebellion against God. All will be restored and redeemed in the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, this is the point for me, my own history, where, you know, Schaefer just expanded the walls of what is Christianity, what does God's work in the world include. All of these things are mantras here at this Covenant College, right? Um, but in the center of that, Schaefer sees God's work focused in the person of Jesus in his death and resurrection to bring us life. That all of that work across every sphere of the created order is the work of God as king to rule and bring salvation, but all of it begins right in here, 
right, in the remolding of our hearts and loves, affections, uh, actions, and, and self-understanding, right? And then redeems all these other bits. That's a short intro to sort of what Schaefer's doing in true spirituality. Um, let me pray for us. Lord, our Father, we come to you this day and we give you glory and thanks that salvation is your work. It is not something that we create because we couldn't. And we give you glory as the one who is at work to redeem us uh, and to redeem your creation and that you, Lord, have accomplished it for us and that you are working within us. We pray that you would help us this day by your spirit to turn away from ourselves and our idolatries, fears, and selfishness and to turn our hearts to you and to find ourselves in that and to turn our hearts to one another that you would enable us by your spirit to embody and trust in your love and holiness. And that you, Lord, would be glorified in this. Amen. All right, good to see you all. Look forward to seeing you all tomorrow. <laughs>